0: Head to the slash merch. Every purchase helps
1: us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch
0: today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: Oh, I know. You're telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit the slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations.
1: In Season 6, our Disease Films series had adaptations like The Omega Man based on I Am Legend, The Andromeda Strain, Children of Men, and Blindness.
0: I Am Legend is so much better than The Omega Man. What
1: about the Will Smith version?
0: Don't get me started.
1: For our This Is Real Life Jack series, we talked Blackhawk Down and Seabiscuit. Some great true stories based on fantastic books.
0: And we had more listeners' choices like The Fly, The Emigrants, and Scott
1: Pilgrim vs. The World. You just did a series on The Fly on the Sitting in the Dark podcast. Did you read the
0: original material? Wasn't watching every Fly movie enough? <laughs> Our big
1: Betty Davis series featured adaptations like The Little Foxes, Now Voyager, All About Eve, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane.
0: Are you calling Betty Davis big?
1: Only in personality
0: and force. She is a force to be reckoned with.
1: <laughs> we talked about the entire The Godfather trilogy, of course. Iconic page to screen, even if it is just the one Mario Puzo book. I wonder if Coppola will ever make the Sicilian.
0: We also had some Zhang Yimou adaptations with Judo and Raise the Red Lantern. Absolutely gorgeous movies.
1: And don't forget the Hughes Brothers series with From Hell, based on the graphic novel.
0: Brilliant material. Kelly Reichardt gave us Wendy and Lucy and Certain Women, adapted from short stories.
1: Plus more Hayao Miyazaki as we tackled Howl's Moving Castle.
0: Find all these books and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the show.
1: Get the full list of adapted films that we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals and start your next read today.
0: is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. Howdy, howdy, howdy! And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we're continuing our series on some of our favorite films in the Seven Samurai Family with John Landis' 1986 comedy Three Amigos... Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Real. And if you have a plethora of piñatas and you know what that means, then you might just be ready for The Next Reel's Instagram hashtag Pony Prize hashtag Guest the Movie Challenge. And with that, since
1: Pete accidentally shot Gamesmaster Master Stephen Smart when we were trying to summon him at the singing bush, I'll fill you in this week. This week's movie was The Phantom from 1996, directed by Simon Winsor and starring Billy Zane, Christy Swanson, and Treat Williams. The winner was Per 76. Congratulations. You are, uh, I think this is your first time um, up here in 2016. So congrats, uh, Per Johansson. You are entered to win the 2016 Pony Prize.
0: We've got a blot spot. Uh, This one comes in from front of the show, Ben Lott, talking about The Magnificent Seven. You guys really
1: did a great job discussing the Magnificent Seven. It was entertaining and well acted, but it did lose some character development because of the shorter runtime. I might have connected with it a bit more than you did, mostly because I'm starting to discover a newfound love for westerns since I've been listening to the next reel. But I think we all agree that while this movie isn't as good as Seven Samurai, it's still fun to watch. Your rank one fifty nine, my rank sixty five.
0: That's a spread right there.
1: It is quite a spread, but uh, you know, I think that we all kind of still agreed. Yeah.
0: It's what Flickchart does. That's right. Makes enemies out of friends. (laughs) Nemeses out of brothers. Jeff Jones writes in, He uh, is getting into the deep cuts, talking about Serenity.
1: Yeah, great little comment. Uh, I love the movie, but I have a problem with the fact that Mal lets the operative go after everything he has done, especially the killing of children. It just doesn't seem like Mal, but it's still a great movie. You know, he brings up a really good point uh, that we didn't address at all, but uh, there is that uh, question about uh, why do they let the operative go, considering some of the atrocious uh, things that he had
0: done. You know, I'll tell you, I've been rethinking that relationship between Mel and the operative after watching Heat again and discussing it so closely with Jason Crothers. Uh, I, I think the relationship between these sort of career these guys whose, whose work defines their identity as in heat, you, I can see sort of what he was going for in serenity that didn 't quite get over the hump in that relationship that they do execute I think really, really well in heat worth seeing yeah. again Good. Andy, I think it 's time let 's do trailers <laughs>
1: So my trailer is Free Fire, which uh, is Ben Wheatley's new film, and it's a Red Band trailer, so it's full of naughtiness. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, oh, yeah. Do tell. This, uh, I, what I loved about watching this trailer is it sets it up as kind of a, you know, some, some criminals buying some guns from somebody. But then we never leave the warehouse, and the whole trailer is just this shootout as these people are trying to survive and get out of this uh, warehouse alive. I thought that was brilliant. I loved the whole concept of we've got this group of these uh, different gangs, and the whole movie is will these guys make it out of this warehouse or not? That was just fantastic, and it really it kind of surprised me. The story obviously seems fairly simple because that's all there is. But it allows for so much comedy and such interesting characters. We have in this Brie Larson, of course, as uh, one of our leads, along with Killian Murphy, Army Hammer, Charlotte Copley. There's this fantastic vibe that this group of people has on screen as they uh, are just having wonderful conversations with each other that are just oh so, uh, oh so vulgar. And, I mean, there's a bunch of other people in here, too. Noah Taylor, uh, Michael Smiley, Enzo, uh, Celenti. It just looks uh, raucous and raunchy and over-the-top and violent, and looks like a lot of fun. What did you think of
0: it? It's like a movie that was made on a dare. Like, can you make (laughs) a feature film in which all it is is a game of super violent laser tag? like can you do that can you make a film that like that and and have people stay interested and so that has me curious more than anything uh the cast is Really fantastic for a movie like this, which makes me uh, think, you know, even more highly of what Ben Wheatley has been able to accomplish here. Uh, I I laughed through the entire trailer. It's it is violent. It's super violent. Uh, how delighted do you think they are at this point to be able to update their titles and say Academy Award winner Brie Larson? Right, exactly. Really funny. <laughs> I I think that's really funny. So I'm looking forward to it. And
1: and she definitely seems like somebody who's been picking a lot of. Just really fun movies. Like she's not the she hasn't been just picking um, you know, Oscar Bait movies after after winning. She's
0: her. Captain Marvel for crying out loud. Awesome.
1: I know. Exactly. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, this uh, this does look like just a whole just a whole bunch of fun, and uh, it looks like it's going to be coming out not until next year. I don't have a date yet, but it's it's kind of trickling out in festivals. It just played at uh, Toronto. It's going to be playing at London in uh, October, and then Estonia and Germany in December. And uh, like I said, it'll be the U.S. sometime in 2017.
0: My trailer, Andy, is Ben Affleck's new film, and I—I I didn't. I, this actually hit me by surprise. I knew he was writing and directing something uh, new. Uh, he's been talking about it for a while, particularly through the interview cycle, through the the press tour for Batman. Uh, I hadn't read up on anything. Turns out, it's an adaptation of another Dennis Lehane book. Uh, this one is "Live by Night." It is a. Uh, a prohibition era rum-running mobster race story. Uh, I I actually am a fan of the book, and I was a fan of of other Lahane books that have been adapted. I've only read Shutter Island and Mystic River, but uh, he's done uh, a lot. I never read Gone Baby Gone. This is uh, uh, another one with ben, that Ben Affleck is is taking the helm on. So it looks really good to me and i think because i am liking ben affleck more and more as he gets older uh, these kinds of stories are compelling also stars scott eastwood l fanning zoe saldana sienna miller chris sullivan anthony michael hall wow brendan gleason uh titus welliver uh max casella uh chris cooper is uh, showing up in this one It, it is just looks like a fantastic cast and it's a period that i really enjoy so what do you think
1: Absolutely want to see it. I mean, Ben Affleck has proven himself to be quite the director. I think everything he's done so far has been really fascinating, very engrossing. I have just enjoyed watching him as an older actor, just just doing some really interesting things and making interesting choices. And yeah, everything about this looks right at my alley. I haven't read any of uh, Lehaine's novels, but I have enjoyed some of these movies that have been done, like Gone Baby Gone, like you said, Shutter Island, didn't enjoy Mystic River. I didn't really care for that one, but I did enjoy The Drop. That was another one that he yeah had written. So
0: yeah, yeah, that one is, that was another one that was I I still haven't seen, but it was based on his short story, uh, like Animal Stories. I think that Animal was Rescue. Animal Rescue. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, this one looks good. It's another 2017 release looks like it starts uh, probably oscar bait december 2016 in the u.s uh, opens for reals january 12th uh, it begins its global rollout uh it finally hits uh, yeah through pretty much the next two weeks so be on the lookout for it excellent andy could it be once again that you are angry at something else but you are taking it out on me let's try! <laughs> the three amigos They were the biggest stars of their day. The Three Amigos are history. But that
1: was yesterday.
0: Look, boys, I know show business. Something always turns up. Telegram for the Three Amigos.
1: Come with me when moonbeams paint the sky. Ah!
0: Who are you? I like this guy
1: they are funny guys
0: Three Amigos Andy 1986 John Landis at the helm written by Steve Martin Lauren Michaels and Randy freaking Newman yeah who saw that coming <laughs> right <laughs> stars Steve Martin Chevy Chase Martin Short Alfonso Arau, Tony Plana Therese Martinez, and just a fantastic cast of characters filling in the desert around Santa Poco. What did you think of this movie?
1: I flippin' love this movie, (laughs) and it's hard for me to step back and look at it critically because I think it came at my uh, brain at a perfect time when I could absorb something like this and just everything clicked with my sense of humor and... Uh, My personality and my age, like everything just worked. And as I get older, I just find it funnier and funnier. And I'm like, gosh, is this, this has to be just, uh, you know, me, because I don't think the movie is actually probably that good. But I still like, I mean, (laughs) I really love it. Uh, I just absolutely love it. And I just laugh hysterically every time I watch it.
0: I do too. You are not alone. <laughs> or if you are, you are in good company. I really laughed at this movie this time. And it starts from the very moment the movie opens. I am in, I'm already chuckling. It's really funny. And I think one of the reasons it works, if we're talking about it as part of our, you know, S- uh, Seven Samurai family series, it works because it actually. Uh, you know, it picks these pieces of The Magnificent Seven to copy really smartly. You know, going from seven to a trio is is the major change. Uh, but uh, other than that, it is structured uh, as kind of a complete package of this Seven Samurai story. And, and I think it just works so well with uh, Steve Martin's ridiculous sense of humor.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's interesting because I think they really, I mean, if you really look at it, I think they pattern it almost more off of Magnificent Seven than they do off of Seven Samurai. It's obviously, it's also a Western. You've got that scene where they get, you know, I mean, in Magnificent Seven, they didn't get scared away out of the village, but they did kind of get booted and then they chose to come back. You get that same sort of thing here. Um and i think that uh yeah it's it's just one of those interesting things where i think steve martin latched onto this idea of these um these actors who take this job thinking it's for a, an acting job only to find out that it's for real i think that he latched onto that and knew there was something there like you said it, there's there's a much smarter story going on here and everything that they wrote really taps into All of the genre conventions, all of the kind of just the tropes that go along with this whole idea of finding a team to come help you out of this situation, all of that, while also allowing... Um, these kind of bumbling idiots to uh, just stumble their way through the entire thing.
0: Well, yeah, and that's one of the things that's so sort of rewarding about it is these bumbling idiots. They're we we they're they're affable, they're lovable. We want to we want to see them succeed mostly because they're so dumb in the face of a criminal element that is much more calculating, although also dumb. It does not take itself very seriously in that light. You know, it's a film where the actors have fun with language and accents and. Uh, I think it ends up being just uh, really rewarding as uh, as a result. One of the things that 's really interesting about it take for example you know we 've talked twice now about the unrelated hero introduction right the way these the the last several films we 've talked about in the series introduce us to the heroes in a way that is unrelated to their the the narrative of the film itself. They do it here, too, and if you look away, you'll miss it, but they do it in the replay of the film that our heroine goes in to watch. When she's learned, it's like she thinks she's watching a newsreel, but in fact she's watching a film in a church as she's looking for heroes to come save her village. I think that ends up working really well, and it gives us a sense of who these guys are and why this is going to be such a funny case of mistaken identity. They cut, apparently, the opening sequence of bandits pillaging the town and that would make it a a perfect homage.
1: Yeah, right, a great setup having having all of that stuff uh, given to us saying, seeing El Guapo and his men riding in to plunder the town and saying we'll be back and 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 really setting up the story. I mean, we, we have it all there. I mean, Carmen talks about, you know, we've got to find somebody to help us. But still, you're right. It would have been great having that open there so that we really could have set us up well for
0: it. Here we're talking about the script a little bit. Obviously, Steve Martin.
1: Yeah, he came up with this idea back in the late 70s. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what he was doing. It might have just been some of his stand up and stuff. But he had come up with this, uh, this whole concept of the of this this western thing and he actually hired some writers to write a screenplay for him and and he couldn't quite get it to click it wasn't working Lauren Michaels said you know what it's not worth doing this and he's told him to to get rid of it and then they opted to work on this together and then somehow Randy Newman figured into the equation I'm not quite sure probably from you know they had all met at some point on Saturday Night Live or something but anyway uh, yeah, so he had come up with this idea and and kind of worked on it in the late 70s, early 80s. The three of them kind of came together and, and put this together. And, you know, the original story was The Three Caballeros, is what they called it. And it was going to star John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, along with Steve Martin. Steven Spielberg was actually at one point interested in directing it.
0: It's interesting, too, that Lorne Michaels and Randy Newman, this is their only feature film credit uh, for writing for both of them and uh when you look at randy newman's credits that might be unsurprising given what where his sort of focus is is his career but lauren michaels i think it's interesting i mean he's got a ton he's got like 30 writing credits but they're all snl they're snl specials this is his only looks to be his only feature he's got 158 uh production credits but uh, uh his only feature was <laughs> to come together for the three amigos there's something about that i find really funny
1: yeah, it just seems like one of those things where where Steve Martin kind of, you know, tapped into his buddies and said, "Hey, you know, wouldn't this be funny?" And I can just see them sitting around for drinks or something talking about it and they're like, "Yeah, let's just do it."
0: Right. It just seems like one of those sorts of movies, you know. <laughs> On to John Landis, shall we? Yeah, he, this
1: uh he made this uh right after he did Spies Like Us. This actually um, I, I mentioned uh, Steven Spielberg uh, had kind of been interested in it uh, before John Landis was offered the role. Um, Spielberg, I think he ended up turning this down to take E.T., which I guess we should all be grateful for because that's, uh, that, that one worked out all right.
0: Well, you know, you roll the dice on any of these projects. It? It's just you roll the dice.
1: Uh, and of course, Spielberg wanted Bill Murray and Robin Williams in it, which I think would have been an interesting little little uh, trio. But it was um, John Landis, a few years later, who ended up landing the job. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, it just, it worked well with the types of films that he had been doing. I mean, he was a, uh, he knew how to direct comedy. I mean, we had talked about him, of course, with uh, American Werewolf in London, which is really a time when he <laughs> really stepped far away from... Uh, from his comedy. Although that certainly has a lot of uh, funny going on in it, but it's definitely not what you'd label a comedy. But I mean, you look at the other stuff that John Landis had been doing. I mean, from the beginning with Schlock and then the Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, Blues Brothers, Trading Places, uh, and then Spies Like Us, and then Three Amigos. I mean, this is a guy who who really kind of has tapped into... Comedy And just understands how to tell a funny story. And I think that he saw the humor in these characters. He understood the types of characters that Martin was um, writing and this world. And I think he was able to tap into that, not to mention really finding the threads that would connect it to its uh, the family of uh, Magnificent Seven to just kind of bring all that out more.
0: Although then you get this. In Movies.com interview he did last year, he, they, they ask him, does it irk you a little bit that movies like Galaxy Quest and Tropic Thunder have capitalized on the same Three Amigos idea where a group of actors are unwittingly thrown into real danger? And Landis says, they completely ripped it off. The first Pixar movie about the ants, A Bug's Life, took the same plot. It's amazing how often the plot has been used. If Galaxy Quest weren't so funny, it would probably bother me more. Yeah. Yeah. come on. I know.
1: (laughs) Uh, Which I think is really funny that that's kind of his attitude about uh, how his movie was ripped off. Completely forgetting the fact where his movie came from. Yeah.
0: (laughs) How quickly we forget, John Landis. (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: I maybe it was the uh, financial movie gods who uh, you know took that out on him by not making this as successful at the box
0: office. <laughs> it it is. It's the there was not enough of a sacrifice. Is that what you're saying? Right, right exactly. <laughs> Although I have to say, Spies Like Us, I really enjoyed Spies Like Us. Doctor, <laughs> doctor, <laughs> there doctor? you go. <laughs> See, I love Spies Like Us. It's a great movie, and so he was for me. It's like it. It's it's definitely kind of part of his uh part of of who that guy is, and I know he has come- he's become kind of a controversial you know super hollywood guy and 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 we have sort of mixed feelings about John landis, but when you look at um from trading places through spies like us through three amigos through coming to america i mean the, i i think he he tackles funny well and and he says. And has said repeatedly that funny is very similar to horror, and that's why he is—the way he looks at it is very similar to horror, and that's why he, uh, he really uh, gets into going back and forth between these two genres. And he says, uh, you know, comedy and horror, they're, they're very similar, uh, mostly because A, they're not taken very seriously, and B, nobody knows how hard they are to do.
1: You're also throwing into the mix the fact that this was a Western, and he made this at a time when Westerns were kind of considered passe. I know that the same thing that Lawrence Kasdan was up against when he did Silverado right around the same time. It it was a real struggle at the time to make Westerns. People felt like it was done, and uh, it was kind of an old thing that nobody wanted to see anymore. So it was a real struggle, and certainly something that Landis was up against when he made this.
0: That is so true, and isn't it funny how far we've come from, you know, the Magnificent 7 and sort of the heyday of the cultural acceptance of the western. First shot last shot.
1: I would be uh I, you know, gosh, I watched the uh the the revised opening or not the the original opening um when uh El Guapo came into the village, and I wish I could remember how it would have begun. Um, with that first shot. Um, since now, I mean, it's a very perfect pairing of first shot, last shot. The first shot, we're riding along with the three amigos as they sing the Ballad of the Three Amigos. They're riding toward us. And the last shot is the three of them riding away, galloping away, really, into the glorious sunset. It's a it's a nice pairing. It's very simple, riding toward us, riding away from us. It sets it up very nicely. But I would be curious how would it work if it were the el guapo original opening
0: yeah i wonder because you know even if we even if we just take the the um you know what the opening of the sequence represents uh, it still pairs up better with the last shot and the last shot is the amigos riding away from us into the glorious sunset you know we have them ride in and then we have the good guys ride out that's how it should be as it should be
1: this the way that it is right now it really sets it up where it's just a story of these three bumbling idiots this goes to something about the script that i think is really interesting where it's like is there really character growth do we have any characters going through any arcs <laughs> really not it's it's very much you got these three guys coming in i mean you could argue that it's a tiny bit i mean they they opt to uh you know stand up for what's right and and save this village so sure there's a little bit of character Growth.
0: Sure, there's a moment. I mean it's there's a specific moment right, where yeah. they make the decision and Martin Short is draws, the line, draws the, the line in the sand. It's a very funny and heartfelt moment. And and I think that absolutely represents in a movie like this, you gotta go fishing, Andy.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it works. I just I I do think that thematically as far as the overall story goes. It definitely would have had a stronger uh, first shot, last shot with the theme of the story with that first shot of El Guapo riding into the village um, and then the last shot of the the heroes riding off into the sunset.
0: I agree it, it on still that point. Works. Yes, it still works. It's fine. Okay, now we got we to gotta dig into the cast a little bit. Obviously, Steve Martin. We talked about him as the uh, sort of writer of this thing.
1: First of all, I do have to say that having Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short... Paired in a film together, I mean, just, just three comedy geniuses, especially at that particular point in time. It seemed like a perfect uh, pairing of these three guys to just be in, in one film together, um, where you just had these guys. It, it just felt like they were always trying to one-up each other. It Just like everything about the different styles of humor, it all worked so well. It was a great blend.
0: Again, so funny after watching The Magnificent Seven and saying the same thing.
1: Exactly right, get these people together yeah um, Steve Martin, I mean he's great as lucky day I, I think what's great about these three guys is they're not cowboys. these guys are actors who play cowboys and what's so funny is just all of the the just kind of that uh, surface level cowboyness that they have you know he's got his little rope trick that he does <laughs> you know he, he they all know how to twirl their gun and jump on their horses and all that sort of stuff and they ride around and shoot and stuff. But they don't really know how to fight. And that's just, that I think that's just what is so funny. And uh, the whole ending, when they decide to become the fighters that the people of Santo Poco think they are, it's great kind of seeing these guys having to step up and uh, still be kind of frightened as they're trying to figure all this out.
0: This ended up being not a bad year for, for Martin in terms of just what he contributed to comedy lore. I mean, this comes in right uh, alongside Little Shop of Horrors, uh, which I think established uh, a e- sort of equal kind of comedy following in, in just a different circle on the Venn diagram.
1: Well, and that's kind of interesting because that, I, I'd have to look at his filmography, but that very likely could have established him as not just a great uh, actor for these uh, comedy movies, but a great uh, supporting character to throw into stuff too.
0: It, it's actually interesting that uh, the number of times I, I read of the press at the time not taking kindly to this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, for example, Chevy Chase was on, did you read the story about Chevy Chase being on, uh, on uh, uh, Late Show uh, with Roger Ebert? And no. he was asked, um, you know, what do you think, Roger Ebert was asked, what do you think was the worst uh, film of the year? And his answer was clearly Three Amigos uh, right in front of, of Chevy Chase. Um, did, did not start off well,
1: no, the movie definitely struggled, and it was it really surprised everybody. I think everybody was um, shocked that it uh, did not connect. This was one of those movies that everybody was like, "Oh, it's going to be you know Martin Chase and Short all together, and it's going to be really funny. It's going to be one of the you know it's, it's from the guy who brought us the Blues Brothers and and all of this, and and uh, it just it it just kind of turned into a just a box office dud when it opened. Which was uh, I think it just people didn't. I don't know. They just didn't uh it didn't click with people. And I mean, you know, I if if my parents had taken me to this, I would almost guarantee that they would have hated it at the time. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. it's one of those movies where it's like, oh, what? What is this?
0: I was actually surprised my wife wandered in as I was watching it and she was chuckling and I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> so there you go. You know, with time all things soften. Uh oh, I, I did see a clip of Steve Martin on The Dave Letterman Show promoting this film, and he introduces a number of products, a number of products to support this film, Andy, and they make me laugh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Three Amigos Rubber Cement. Okay. Holy Water, Blessed by the Three Amigos. (laughs) Okay. Turkey Basters, in sizes ranging from Martin Short to Steve Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. The Egg McMigo Breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, don't forget, Three Amigos Contraceptive Foam.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. That's...
0: <laughs> you want to sell a movie, you go to Steve Martin.
1: <laughs> That's pretty brilliant. You know, this poor guy, uh, when they were filming, uh, he actually developed tinnitus uh, while they were shooting because of all the gunfire and everything. And and it's just that kind of permanent ringing in his ears now. Isn't that uh,
0: sucky? That's sad. Right sad. Sad. It but really
1: is. A, but at least he walked away with those dope rope tricks. <laughs> that's right. All, well, those rope tricks, he actually learned how to do that back, I think he was actually working at a magic shop at Disneyland when he was uh, like a teenager or something. And he learned this rope trick and he learned how to kind of do the rope trick. And that's just something he knows how to do, which it obviously worked out well for
0: him in this particular case. Chevy Chase is Dusty Bottoms. Ah, yes. Good old
1: Chevy. Uh, This, you know, he definitely still has that same uh, comedy vibe that we've seen in Caddyshack and Vacation. It's just, it's very much a uh, very kind of a sarcastic, biting sort of wit that Chevy Chase has. And I, I don't know, I really enjoy him here. He just seems almost like he's a little uh, like fed up with everything, but in a way that is just kind of endearing.
0: It is endearing and so goofy. And when you hear that the the cough at the end of the Three Amigos salute was Chevy Chase's idea that they all turn their heads and cough, it, it everything comes into focus. That seems like such a Chevy Chase idea. There's no way Steve Martin <laughs> came up with that idea. That was a Chevy Chase idea. Uh, right i think that's just fantastic
1: it's like the the turn your head and cough (laughs) yeah exactly that's
0: that is just perfect
1: it seems straight out of fletch really
0: exactly exactly as it should be
1: (laughs) it's the it's the guy who uh one of my favorite chevy bits is when uh, they are in the uh the bar and they uh steve martin is trying to get him to go play the piano and and he's just like oh no no i i'm all you know i'm rusty i wouldn't be able to do it while he's walking to the piano to play it it's like that that uh, that perfect blend of like the no 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 while he's saying yes yes yes
0: sadly uh entered betty ford after this film yeah
1: poor guy i mean he had a painkiller addiction and uh yeah they which i believe when they when the three of them were on saturday night live together um to promote this film, it, it turned into a perfect opportunity for uh, Martin and Short to um, basically throw pills at him <laughs> during their <laughs> sketch, say, more pills? <laughs> so uh, the joy of uh, being around friends who are constantly ready to roast you for anything you do.
0: Truly. Uh, <laughs> Martin Short as Ned Nederlander.
1: This was his first theatrical film which I uh, didn't realize. I I you know, he had been around but um and he had been in uh, in TV movies and and uh TV shows and all sorts of things but uh, nothing theatrical other than I think there was like a just a tiny bit part in something but this was kind of a, a major role in his first time and I mean I think right out of the gate he you know just has those acting chops and he knows how to kind of carry something on the big screen.
0: These three guys together. One of the other things that's just so funny about them is just the way they. I mean, they are the whitest guys ever. These white middle-aged guys uh, in a movie where they that that is so uh, uh, wrapped with uh love of mexico and mexican culture and the village and the the outfits that they have and they managed to pull off this this sort of um uh, uh i i don't know self referential kind of racism uh but they do it uh, really really
1: well i don't think mexico had issues with the making of this film um, like they were being so cautious about how Magnificent Seven worked right. and how the Mexicans were portrayed in that film, this is clearly just a comedy I mean they 're being made fun of uh, as much as any other character in the film and and i would I would say. You're not making fun of any of the Mexican characters um, because of the fact that they're Mexican. You know, anyone who you're laughing at, you're just laughing at because of the particular character that they are.
0: Well, and that's what's so beautiful about these guys, because in fact, you, when you are laughing at them, you're laughing at them because they're not.
1: What is the line that uh, Steve Martin says when they get into the bar? He says something like, uh, you know, oh, we're not Mexican. We're from out of town.
0: <laughs> it's like, uh,
1: yeah, really?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alfonso Arau uh, it plays El Guapo, uh, the ringleader, and it has possibly the uh, best introduction of an antagonist of a comedy that I can remember. <laughs>
1: I just love Alfonso Rao. I, I think he is just such a funny actor here. And I mean, also look at something like Romancing the Stone. I mean, he's so great. And that's, that has become like, I don't know, it's just like a joke that, I mean, sadly, we just lost Gene Wilder. But, you know, that's one of those things like, because he says like, John, uh, John Wilder, the John Wilder. And and we, <laughs> Me, and we would Wilder? always go, Gene yes. Wilder, the Gene Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he has been around forever. Wild Bunch. I mean, you know, this is a guy who has been acting um, since way back in the day. And um, and not only that, but he directs stuff, too. I mean, uh, you know, uh, like Water for Chocolate was a great film that he did, and Walk in the Clouds. So uh, I, yeah, I really no, enjoy he's... what he brings to the table as uh, both a director and an actor. And El Guapo is just one of the best.
0: That we meet him on a photo shoot. In the middle of the <laughs> desert, he he is a photographer, and that we get his gang rides up to tell him what's going on, what has just happened in Santa Poco, and he is <laughs> he's shooting like the Arabian Nights is set up in the middle of his of his camp, and uh, he is on a set, and he's shooting it with all of his his thugs dressed up as as sort of Alibaba's castle characters. So it's funny, brilliant, brilliant
1: i think i think it's i think it's funny that he's named El guapo, which is like the handsome one and and his assistant is named hefe,
0: which is like boss so, <laughs> it's like, right seems <laughs> right, <backwards>, right. But <laughs> Um this is uh, he is in this film partly uh, because it's Landis's thing for putting his director buddies in movies. He had known Alfonso Arau. Apparently there were 17 cameos of directors in Into the Night. I had no idea. Uh there were uh, so many cameos. I was looking like at that.
1: the cast and I was like, "Wow, that, there's another director who's in that movie." That yeah. makes me want to watch that one.
0: I know, me too. Uh but but in this case uh, it it is only Arau that gets the gets the nod for the director's cameo.
1: And what's funny is that uh he had starred in a film in 1970, a Spanish film called Trace Amigos, <laughs> which it's like <laughs> that's funny to have two different uh three amigos in in your body of work.
0: Although you'll note no exclamation no, points.
1: No, it, it takes the fun out of it.
0: That's important. Yes, it really does. <laughs> Tony Plana as Jefe? Uh
1: I just, uh, you know, the the pairing between him and Alfonso is just so great. The two of them work, and they riff off of each other so well. I just like the comedy moments about you know the plethora of pinatas, and uh, you know at the end when he's just like, I'm still here, El Guapo. Uh, it's just I mean, oh man, it's just it's just so funny. He's a, he's a great actor here, and he just totally dives in wholeheartedly into this role.
0: Oh, he's a terrific physical actor, in particular when he gets shot and dies and has to do the pratfall. I mean, it's just. It's just perfect. The look on his face is just perfect. With the gun in the air, he was one of Richard Gere's cadet buddies and an officer and a gentleman. I have a hard time placing him in that film after watching this film, uh, and he did have a bit part with Chevy Chase again in Deal of the Century, which uh, I also have a hard time because it was such a terrible movie
1: <laughs> and he's uh, i mean he's still been you know very busy i mean we've talked about that lethal weapon tv show he's popping up in that i mean he's right. he's been in madam secretary and the fosters and the blacklist and alpha house and desperate housewives and i mean ugly betty i mean that's the big one i mean 85 episodes of that he was on that for a long time and this is a guy who's just been around doing all sorts of stuff, and uh, I mean, he's 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 one of those that those guys. I mean, he's just you know, since yeah. he started in the late seventies, he's just been all over the place.
0: Patrice Martinez, I don't have much to say about Patrice, although you watch her in this movie, and uh, you know, because most of her credits are about how she's uh, you know an Albuquerque native and and a grad of the London Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, and then she comes home to do this film. Uh, I find that funny. Uh, she was terrific. She's very sweet. She was, as a character, well-used as the naive village girl who, turns out, is pretty much smarter than everybody else.
1: I, I, I love that she pops up a few years later as the receptionist in Beetlejuice.
0: Uh, she has a lookalike sister, Benita Telles, who is also in this movie. She plays Rosita uh, in uh, Three Amigos, and they both have kind of kinda parallel careers. Of course, Fred Asparagus as the bartender. This town is getting too rough for me. <laughs> He's so brilliant. He is just brilliant. He's got uh he he has a handful of credits including Beverly Hills Cop 3 with good old John Landis. That's right. Yeah. He was he was great in this uh as the bartender. You don't see him all that much, but he is the last man standing in the bar after these right. ridiculous guns. I don't remember
1: him in uh, this is Spinal Tap. I don't either. He's Joe Mama Besser. <laughs> And he's also in Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo.
0: <laughs> so there you go. There's Fred Asparagus. What a great, uh, what a great name. First of all, Fred Asparagus, and then we've got a whole bunch of, uh, well, not a whole bunch. We've got a few. We've well, we got the kind of throwing trio. John yeah, Lovitz, the, the yeah, John Lovitz, Joe Mantegna, and Phil Hartman as the the um, the Hollywood people. John Lovitz <laughs> and Phil Hartman as the dopes, and Joe Mantegna as the as the um the head of the studio Harry Flugelman.
1: Joe Mantegna is perfect in the part, you know, he does that sort of role really well and I enjoy him. Uh he's a perfect foil for the uh the amigos early in the film. Um there definitely was more going on with uh with these guys um before the film got hacked up a bit. Um there's definitely some more stuff with them. Um but you know, I love them and John Lovitz. I mean, it's it's Exactly the type of stuff that John Lovitz did so well. And man did this make me miss Phil Hartman.
0: Wardrobe. Take their clothes. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. That's so great. That's take so the amigo's great. clothes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, apparently, uh, Fran Drescher and Sam Kennison were cut for time. Uh, did you watch, did you see them? Fran Drescher,
1: yes. The Sam Kinnison bit, I guess, just was kind of lost. Uh, this goes, uh, and I mean, I guess we can just talk, jump into the editing tiny bit here. Um, yeah. but when this film was in the post-production phase, um, it was in that awkward time of John Landis's life when he was actually, um, on trial for the, um, I don't know if it's fair to say he was on trial, but he was testifying and stuff for his part in the disaster that happened on the Twilight Zone set when the helicopter crashed and all that. Um, So he was kind of going through the motions of having to be um, in court during the day, testifying and everything. And then he was only able to come to uh, to do any of the editing at night. So um they ended up doing a lot of cuts without him. They cut off that whole beginning that we'd already talked about. They cut out an entire bit with uh Sam Kinnison who um popped up as I guess they run into him at some point. He's like this savage mountain man who's running around wearing chicken bones. He's got bloody axes in each hand. Um he catches Steve and Marty in a trap and and uh And they they shoot him, but then after they shoot him, he's dying, and while he's dying, he's showing them snapshots of his children, and Chevy Chase is just horribly guilt-ridden because of this whole thing. I think it could have actually played in fairly funny with the scene later when Chevy is really nervous about hitting the guy on the head, you know?
0: Yeah, right.
1: But anyway, that one was lost. And then Fran Drescher, she's she's basically the... um, the other actress at uh, Harry Flugelman's studio that he is really behind. And as the amigos are kind of uh, falling from his graces, she's the one who's on the rise. And so, they have this whole bit where um, as soon as they get booted from their mansion, they go back to it, and now she has already moved in. I mean, we saw how quick all these things are changing, but she's already moved in and and just all this sort of stuff. So there was a lot more stuff going on with her, but yeah, this was all stuff that they kind of cut uh, not so much with uh with his permission, um but you know he wasn't around to kind of protect it or or talk to them about it. It just kind of happened and so now all they have are some scenes from I think they actually happened to find it in some some cut that they had given to um uh to the press at uh, like a junket it was just a an old reel of of that particular part of the film
0: well it it makes sense then why landis today is saying that it was cut for time i mean that was that was in a in the 2015 interview speaking specifically of the of the sam kennison stuff but it makes a lot more sense in the context of his role in the twilight zone affair right um that that there is sort of a collective story around how these things were lost. It's really unfor- unfortunate, particularly the opening scene. I still think that that's... Even from a few minutes ago, Andy, I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> I still think that's a major loss. <laughs> well,
1: good to know. Good to know you haven't changed your mind. Yeah.
0: So getting it made, uh, making the movie, making it look good, We, you know, mostly... Okay, there are two things about the the costumes, hair, and makeup we need to talk about. First of all, uh, the the hair and makeup, I find... Uh, delightful in the uh, black and white bits, the silent movie.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, the rest of the film all looks fine, but definitely I think what they did in the silent movie bit was was quite fun, where the actors actually all wore authentic grease paint makeup um, to look kind of like that silent era, which had been discontinued when Technicolor came around.
0: It's, it looks really good. I think it's very funny, and it it nails what they're trying to deliver there. The other thing was in the the costumes, which I think are are funny, if only because costuming plays such a role in the plot of the film uh, that they end up make using the you know making. Everybody, look, it's the mistaken identity plot from <laughs> Magnificent Seven, not really. Um, <laughs> amigos, amigos, amigos. amigos, amigos, <laughs> amigos. Amigos, <laughs> amigos, amigos everywhere. And uh, and so, you know, they turn all the townspeople into amigos and uh, they're on rooftops and everything, but they have to make the costumes. And so they that's the montage is a lot of sewing. And I find that fantastic.
1: Yeah, these are those points in uh, film production when... Uh, all the different departments, you know, things start getting muddled as far as whose responsibility are these things that are all getting sold yeah. on the screen. Well, that would be props. <laughs> it's not costumes because it's on screen and they're actually <laughs> doing something with it. They're not wearing it.
0: <laughs> uh, you want to talk about locations because you apparently live there. Well,
1: it uh, they did film some of this here in Arizona. I mean, they filmed all of Santo Poco, I believe, in the Mojave Desert. Uh, all
0: I thought it was at your house. I thought that's why you were so oh, excited. Oh,
1: you. <laughs> yeah. No, Mojave Desert, uh, all the lush green stuff. They found a, a place out there in California to film Santo Poco. Um, all the stuff that actually looks a lot more dry and deserty, that was all filmed out in uh, in Arizona. Um, there's a great uh, Western studio down in Tucson called the Old Tucson Studios. And that's where they filmed uh, El Guapo's place, the town when they first arrive in Mexico. All of the stuff wandering around the desert was all filmed out there. Um, I had worked out there on the Western I did a few years ago. And it's just, a, it's a great old studio, lots of great stuff, a lot of history, uh, a really interesting place. Sadly, um, there was a big fire down there in the, uh, I can't remember if it was in the late 80s or early 90s, but um, El Guapo's place, that whole beautiful Kind of old style um, uh, uh, church it, it burned down and that's all gone now. Um, they still have the old town um, which has obviously changed quite a bit but um, it's great it's it's cool seeing them kind of writing through all of that stuff that all looks so familiar to me.
0: That's awesome. Just like your
1: house. Just like my house. And then, of course, the uh, all the silent stuff, uh, we should just quickly mention, that was actually filmed on the oldest set at Universal Studios that was actually built for a Tom Mix film way back in the day. So I thought that was great that they actually, for the silent film, they went back to a set that was virtually built for a silent film.
0: That is awesome. I, I did not pick that part up. That's fantastic. Um, edited by Malcolm Campbell. Um, mostly... The sequence of note is the showdown, right? Because that is uh, that is actually a spoof, not off of the Magnificent Seven, but it, it is a a cutting spoof of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where we get the clo- wide shot, close up uh, pattern. In good the bad and the ugly and and here we have ned facing off with the german
1: and i mean it's fun it's definitely feels like a john landis kind of spoof you know you've got the the eyes looking at each other and of martin short's eyes with just get big and scared i mean it's just a fun way to
0: do it the last uh, big performance of note is elmer bernstein who is parodying himself uh, on his score for the magnificent seven and it's it's as good are you kidding? It's great.
1: You know what's fantastic is uh, here in town. They did a, a, a the Phoenix Symphony did a, a an Elmer Bernstein show, and um, they had they played all sorts of wonderful stuff. It was actually I think it was his son conducting it too, um, and um, they had John Landis actually there. He came out and he introduced a whole section where they played a uh, a bunch of comedy music that Elmer Bernstein had written, including this and uh, and he talked about how this is the f- his favorite music that he has in any of his films that that Elmer Bernstein oh. came in and wrote this parodying the stuff that he did from the Magnificent 7 that's very cool yeah. So there. He was, he was a fine lad, I guess. That's
0: what we're saying. No, it's,
1: it is absolutely perfect music. And I love that Elmer Bernstein went through these different phases and he ended up in this kind of comedy phase later in his life where he was doing stuff like this and Ghostbusters and, and Spies Like Us. I mean, he, you know, it's just great mm-hmm. to hear him doing such fun stuff later in his life. And then, and really, I mean, we can't talk about Elmer Bernstein and the brilliant music without also mentioning that, aside from also co-writing the script, Randy Newman also wrote some of the, or all of the songs in the film, which I absolutely love. These songs, <laughs> um, the Ballad of the Three Amigos, of course, with the high note that lasts 14 seconds, which is hilarious. My Little Buttercup and Blue Shadows on the Trail, both of which I sing to my kids as uh, good night songs. And then, of course, as you as should, because they're perfect. They're perfect. And then, of course, he was the voice of the singing bush.
0: I like Randy so much. You know, I saw him in concert. Did you really? That's a concert. That's a concert I've got up on you, yes, right? Yes, it is. You've never seen Randy I Newman? Have not.
1: And it was a singing concert, I'm guessing, though.
0: Singing piano. Do you know what he does? He does this thing where he'll start playing a song, and then he'll get tired of it and just stop. <laughs> Like right in the middle of a song you really like. And he's like, Yeah, that's how that one goes. Wanna hear another one? Here it goes.
1: <laughs> that's kind of weird.
0: <laughs> You're like in the middle of your be- the best song that you really love, and there he goes. Ca- and he just stops. He's just done. He just finishes it, he moves on. So funny. So that's what he's that's what he's like, Randy. Let's talk about all the awards to sing right Oh up. yes. Woo <laughs> Uh yeah. <laughs> Tis the season.
1: Yes, yes, yes
0: yeah good old
1: three amigos uh anyway, moving on, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we do have to mention, even if in brief
1: remakes uh yes, uh because if for no other reason, I mean <laughs> unlike whatever John Landis thinks, this is fitting into nicely our family, and so we do have um some fun stuff, I mean it's all been mentioned, but a bug's life, certainly. Kind of patterns itself after this. And uh, Galaxy, Galaxy Quest.
0: Galaxy Quest. And, uh,
1: and even, to a certain extent, like he said, uh, Tropic Thunder.
0: I uh, I think that's funny. Uh, this film is sandwiched right in the middle of uh, an enormous string of films. It is a remake, and it has been remade. It
1: is. It's, it's, it's interesting. It is kind of funny. It's very zen. Yeah. Everything old <laughs> is new again, and old again, in some weird way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, this is a movie that... Um, I just love it. It's uh, it didn't uh, do well when it was released, but time has proven that uh, it connected with people. It has developed this cult following. Uh, I, you know, there's professional impersonators, and I guess one uh, Martin Short's cousin is a member in some professional impersonator group. Um, you know, Steve Martin said to John Landis, he said, you are right, time is the only true test of a movie. Uh, I mean, you know, we the Three Amigos, just like the Magnificent Seven, it's become this kind of cultural zeitgeist phraseology. You know, you've got, you know, there's a trio of football players who are called the Three Amigos, trio of baseball players who are called the Three Amigos. The three, uh, you know, our three big Mexican directors right now, uh, they're called the, the Three Amigos. It's politicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime you compare three people together, they become the three amigos. It's just, it's funny how how that works. So, um, yeah, I, I I love it. Um, John Landis said that this actually did better overseas than it did domestically. I I wonder if uh, this is uh, one of those things where people still overseas will really latch on to, or if it is kind of one of those things where if you didn't catch it at the right time when it came out, it's not something that's going to stick with you.
0: I hope not. I, people from abroad, please uh, write us, particularly if your nation is not an, a native English-speaking nation. If your first language is not English, write us and let us know what you think. Yeah.
1: How did it work for
0: you? Uh, how did it do in the box office? You know,
1: um, it didn't... Uh, it. It didn't do well enough to get a sequel made, <laughs> I guess that's a good way to say, according to John Landis. You know, it made less money than Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, or Police Academy 3, Back in Training, which is uh, kind of sad to say. Um, but uh, yeah, this film was released December 12th, 1986. I think they're expecting it to be the big holiday season comedy film. Um, it cost 25 million at the time, which is about 53 million uh, in today's dollars. Ended up um, domestically making about uh, 40 million, and I couldn't find any information on what it made internationally. But that's about 80 83.5 million. Adjusted, So it still made its money back, but um, that's also not counting any uh, prints and advertising. So who knows? But all told, what I have here, it made an adjusted profit per finish minute of about 290000
0: How good would this movie have been with Steve Gutenberg, Bubba Smith, and Michael Winslow? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm just saying, Police Academy. <laughs> I think we should rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see this in our newest uh, movies right in the top left over there, and you need to click on it and add it to your flick chart. Let's see how it ranks. Um, I'm a little nervous. As much as I laughed about this film, I I'm not sure how well it's gonna rank Filmo off Filmo, Andy.
1: You know, I wasn't either, but I went back and I looked at my own flick chart, and it's uh it's pretty high.
0: Is it really? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I actually don't even think I have it ranked right now. I'm gonna do it.
1: I'm curious to see how it's going to come out because it's it, it. Believe it or not, I think it's just the the love I have for it and the the place it came in my life. I mean, it's in my top 100. Okay. I don't know uh-huh. if I should be embarrassed about that or not. No,
0: not at all. Well, now it's out there, so let's see it's how out it there. does.
1: All right. First up, Three Amigos or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> oh dear. It's Three Amigos for me. Is it really? <laughs> it
0: is. <laughs> Oh my. oh my goodness! Uh, wow. Okay, um, ok, all right, all right. Let's let's do that. Three amigos. Yes.
1: All right. <laughs> three amigos, or Contagion? <laughs> Definitely three amigos for me.
0: <laughs> really, really.
1: When it comes to watchability, absolutely. Oh, I mean, I enjoy Contagion, but it's not something that I'm going to go back to very often.
0: I feel like right now I'm, I'm on the the rack that Steve Martin is in in the <laughs> prison, and I'm just like, Gonna make it. You're running Gonna the keyboard, and I just have to get my finger on it. Uh Wow. Uh. Okay. On on your point, on your logic, I, I guess. I guess I'll give you Contagion. <laughs> I mean, uh, Three Amigos. Okay. Uh, oh. You can
1: fight me on this. Three Amigos are aliens.
0: I there's please, Andy. <laughs> please tell me you're not Three Amigos. The the, the line must be drawn here. Aliens no is further. number.
1: Aliens is thirteen on my chart, so it's definitely it, aliens. Yes,
0: it is aliens. Oh.
1: I'm not that crazy. I might be crazy, but I'm not that crazy. Uh, Three Amigos or L.A. Confidential? It is L.A. LA Confidential. Confidential. Yeah. Three Amigos or Zodiac?
0: Oh I, boy! I would probably watch. <laughs> I'd probably watch Three Amigos first. I probably I, would.
1: I probably would too. I think I would put Zodiac higher though.
0: Okay. This is
1: it's at this point now where I'm like, oh, these are super close, but I I think I would actually go Zodiac on this one. Yeah. But you're going to say Three Amigos?
0: No, I'll say Zodiac.
1: Oh, okay. You switch. Three Amigos or Fargo? Mm.
0: Mm.
1: I'm going to say Fargo. These are all so close. I'm going to say Fargo. Three Amigos or the Hurt Locker? Uh, I'm,
0: I'm going to say, say the saying, Hurt Locker. I'm saying Three Amigos. <laughs> uh. oh, so that is where the line is then. I that's see. That's where the line is, yep. I see. Uh, uh, well, uh, we're going to have to do... We haven't done this in a long time. We're we gonna haven't. Have We've been a very the... very agreeable lately. Uh, we have. Pete. It's time. It's time for you to be taught uh, a lesson. <laughs> All right. Teach me oh, a <laughs> oh, great one. All right. One, one two, two, three. three. Scissors. Rock. Oh, crud. First Crushed one? you. Oh, man. That's karma is what that, What we call that. <laughs> I
1: had a plethora of <laughs> rocks, Pete. <laughs> all right three amigos or scarlet street
0: i'm gonna say i'm gonna say wow scarlet street are you three amigos i
1: uh yes oh my god i know it's sad I mean, I feel I should feel embarrassed about some of these choices, and I'm sure some of our listeners will will. I'm agree sure, with Yeah, me you're definitely going to
0: get mail. You're definitely going to get mail. <laughs> yes. Um, I I think I'm. You can pick it. I think I'm Scarlet fine. Street. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh, Jeez. All right. One, One, two, two, three, three. Paper. Rock. I knew you were going to use one of your plethora (laughs) of rocks again. That's
1: right. I had a bunch of them. I had a plethora. Well, that leaves it at number 63.
0: Wow. (laughs) Potentially higher
1: than it should be. But
0: you know what? I actually, as I was ranking it too, I ended up getting these pairings that that made it really easy to pick, like uh, Dumb and Dumber, which was, I love Dumb and Dumber. It is a really funny movie for me, and yet I ranked uh, this one over that one.
1: Yeah, I probably would too. Although that is a really funny it is movie. really funny.
0: <clears throat> My oh, kids actually won't yeah, won't tough. watch Dumb and Dumber with me because of the because of the uh, laxative scene. Oh, <laughs> they think that's that is the scariest, most disgusting thing they've ever seen, so they refuse to watch the whole movie.
1: Oh, that's so funny. My kids just had a blast watching Three Amigos with me, despite a few scenes where I was like, Oh, God, yeah. Don't, don't. <laughs>
0: Might not be appropriate, but... So what does this do for your Letterbox ranking?
1: You know, I really deliberated on that, because I'm like, you know, realistically, it's probably like a three and a half star film, but I'm giving it five stars, (laughs) and (laughs) because it's, and it's, it, it probably doesn't, it's probably not a five star film, but... For me, everything about it, I think, hits so perfectly that I, I couldn't not give it five stars. And I, I acknowledge that that's probably wrong, but that's where I stand.
0: Well, I, I came in with it at three and a half. I'll give it four for your Andy's half star of love, but I can't give it five. I really I enjoyed it. I tell you. But I feel like your exuberance is making me regret not fighting you more. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be exuberant then. <laughs> so this is the third to the last film in our series next week our penultimate film in the family seven samurai family series where do we go from here
1: this is gonna be a fun step uh, we're gonna be actually talking about one of these uh, films that ripped uh, John Landis off we're gonna be looking at bah, uh, bugs life yeah bah humbug you uh, it's it's a bug's life uh, gonna jump into Pixar's second film. And uh, another animated film for us. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, I really enjoy this one, and I'm looking forward to checking it out again.
0: Oh, me too. It was super fun, and uh, it's always nice when we watch movies that I can watch with my family. (laughs) So what a treat to have a couple in a row. That's it, Andy. i got to go to bed.
1: Go to bed, very
0: old one. Go to bed like the wind. Amazon giveth today.
1: Oh yes, as Amazon always do. Oh,
0: the bounty. Uh, (laughs) We we've got a couple of one stars coming at us from Amazon, and uh, I'm gonna go first because it. I think this one was actually written by my great grandmother. uh, God rest her soul. Uh, It's called uh, just not funny. Oh my, this movie was mentioned in a book in which the author calls it one of his favorite comedies. Since another of his favorite movies is What About Bob? And since I love Steve Martin and Martin Short in the Father of the Bride movies, and Chevy Chase in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation using a filtering player that makes it family friendly, I thought this is one that I'd be sure to enjoy. Wow, this movie is just not funny at all. All It is silly at best, but it's mostly just a poorly written movie. As other reviewers said, Chevy Chase's character spends way too much time in scenes that allow him to do little more than make facial expressions. This movie does not even compare to What About Bob. Big disappointment.
1: Not facial expressions. <laughs> in a movie? <laughs> a movie? Well, I've got a one star <laughs> by Nate, who I... I have a hunch might actually like the movie, but his review, <laughs> I think he's just really disappointed. Nate's one star. Blu-ray is too clear for this video. Makes everything look fake. Three amigos as it should never be seen. Blu-ray. Um, a bad idea.
0: No. <laughs> no, he did not say it looks oh, fake, Pete. Andy, Everything between Blu-rays and filtering players that make the movie family friendly. <laughs> I don't know how we'll ever go on. Oh, I mean this in all sincerity. Tonight, thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022.